0: informed and inspired we love god we ought to be able to talk about him getting you started
1: on your day with the latest in breaking news and information from the vatican
2: to the white house and everything in between it's serious it's fun it's your catholic drive time now here's your host joe mcclain praise be to jesus christ and welcome back to catholic drive time this is your producer adrian fonseca and today we have for you a very special show We are doing our best of, the best of Catholic Drive Time, the shows that we thought were the best shows that we did of 2020 and 2021. Can you believe that we've been doing this for over a year now? Praise be to God for that. And thank you for joining us on this long journey through ups and downs and lefts and rights and everything in between. Thank you for joining us and tuning in every single day, Monday through Friday. God love you for that. Amen. You have a special place in heaven for uh, enduring that, praise be to God. But let let us know, uh, what is your favorite show through the last year and a half or so? And maybe for next year, we can have your favorite Catholic Drive Time show on our show. You can go to www.grnonline.com forward slash cdt and you can find my contact information there shoot me an email let me know what your favorite show was all right without further ado let's pray the Memorare, and we're going to jump right into our first interview it's going to be a finishing up of the interview from yesterday with bug hall on his conversion in hollywood and the demonic how does that relate you'll find out In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly into thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To you do I come. Before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. And if you want to hear the rest of the Bug Hall interview, just go to our YouTube channel on Catholic Drive Time to hear that, and we'll jump right in. Sort of the same sense across the board. Um, In fact, one one
3: of my six relapses uh was during that sales process um uh being at disney was very hard for me being being in the executive suite i was always there for auditions over the years and stuff and you're in various you know various office buildings there but being in the executive suite there um was really hard for me absolutely there's certainly a demonic uh uh, aspect to this now I, I would love to be able to say, oh, I saw the seances, and I saw the, you know, I was there for the, <laughs> the, the goat head being put on, and they sprinkled me with blood. Um, that would suck, by the know, way, if you were. <laughs> no, but, you know, I, I would love to be able to shine that kind of light if I was able to, right? Um, the reality is that I I didn't firsthand witness anything like that. Hmm. I did know explicit Satanists over the years. They were always low-level wannabe actors or whatever.
0: Um, is is, demonic, is something more than pedophilia needed in order to prove wickedness, though?
3: Right, and that's the thing is is ultimately the demonic aspect of it is these people are are fully controlled by demons right? right whether they're whether they're aware of it or not whether they're doing the same yes. they're fully controlled. they've given themselves over in a way that um
0: the average person, when they're even when they're
3: struggling with sin, hasn't given themselves fully over, right? Yeah,
0: amen, amen. Now, we have I don't know, five minutes or so left. We need more time, we have to rebook you. You got to come back. Uh, there's, just, love... there's more to this story than we're going to have time to jump into, but I want to pass forward. Let's talk about your conversion to the church. Now, you grew up atheist, you were abused, as we've just talked about. What leads you to the Catholic faith? Uh,
3: my writing partner, uh, he He had done a movie down in Mexico with a bunch of Catholics and was going through a conversion. Now, I was very interested in uh, what makes a man, right? I, I had always been driven. I always read stuff like Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance and, you know, all these different things. And I was always trying to kind of wake him up. I was trying to get him out of his party phase. I had been sober for a bunch of years. He was right in the midst of his party phase. And I was trying to drag him out of that um and so i was supportive of that even though i thought it was all malarkey um and after about a year of kind of kind of arguing with him for the sake of arguing uh he duped me into going to this conference with a catholic uh, with an exorcist um one of the preeminent exorcists in the world uh an amazing thomist, Uh and i made the mistake of trying to argue with this priest <laughs>
0: Uh, and this is Father Ripperger,
3: right? He, yes. Praise be yes, to God. Is yeah, uh, he's, a, he's just a great man. And you know what's funny about Father Ripperger is he, he's not at all how you expect him to be if you just watch his videos. I didn't know him through the videos, right? I only knew him in person. And he's just this jovial ball of joy. Uh, he's so easy to converse with. Um, I spent years uh, hanging out with him. I helped him build his cabin in Oklahoma when he was there. And just me and him hanging out for, you know, for weeks at a time um he's he's a, he's a great guy and he i was a hard case man i had a lot of stuff to work through um i wish i was one of those guys that could see the truth and just shape up but uh, i take a little more work i guess
0: so yeah you have this moment you have this exchange it sets you on this journey uh but as you said not everything is uh you know <laughs> blue sky sunshine and roses it's a journey you still had some relapses right
3: I did. Yeah. Uh, six relapses in six years, six years t- fully sober. And then the next six, uh, uh, six relapses sort of increasing, right? So at first it was one every year and a half. And then in the last uh, two years, it was uh, three, right? So they just got closer and closer together. And that was the scary part for me. Um, one relapse is scary when you're six years sober, right? Mm. I mean, one, one relapse really slaps you in the face. Um, when I r- realized that they were, they were getting closer together and increasing, uh, I realized I needed to do something drastic, you know, and I was looking at the saints at the time and, and I just realized that the saints are all extremists. The saints just, mm-hmm. they're all in, they're not a foot in the world of, a, a, you know, a, a foot on the other side. It's, they're just getting ready for heaven and everything else is just straw dust, um, and I was in the process of actually starting another development company uh, down in Texas when I had my last relapse. And I took a few months to just rethink my plan. And I said, I don't want to do this. I I, I, I want to do something that's kind of not really been done in our current time. So I, I'm starting a family monastery here. And we're just kind of homesteading and devoting our life to prayer, uh, putting in a chapel and uh,
4: Praise we're be to just, God.
3: Living for our Lord, and, and and that's it. Everything else is just a waste
2: of time. And I wanted to ask about two that. Minutes. That's yeah. We have about two minutes left on the clock, and I'm very fascinated by this. I saw your tweet saying how you made a rule of life for your family, and I was like, how do you? How does one go about doing that? Do you have to like make a request to your bishop, and how do you format it? Did you like take on the rule of Saint Augustine? I like, couldn't tell 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 me about this. I'm very fascinated. All
3: right, very quickly. Uh, lots and lots of studying. So I've read all the monastic rules at this point and I'm pulling all the, the Carthusians have a lot of stuff that's very conducive to family life, surprisingly. Um, and you know, you just have to be prudent about it. And I haven't finalized any of this, so I'm working through it and it has to be approved, obviously. Um, and, uh, uh, so I'm going through various drafts right now. Uh, and to, to, be clear. I'm the one taking the vow. All right. Uh, God forbid if I die, my wife has to get remarried or something. She can't actually uh, take the vow herself, but she'll live as as I live. Um, and uh, it's just, it's kind of an experiment in a way, I think. And and I, I life's an adventure every day now. Um, and we, you know, we we pray the hours together, and we, my girls are out in the field with me working, and we literally just talk about our Lord all day. Praise be to God. It's a, it's a beautiful life.
0: Well, I really wish we had another hour or so. I just want to uh, dive in on so many aspects of your journey, your story, especially where you're at right now. Uh, we'd love to have you back. Hopefully you'll come back on and we can uh, t- focus in on that part of the the conversation in a little bit more detail because I think it's uh, there's so much fruit there. But, um, Bug Hall, uh, your, your testimony is powerful. And, again, as I said at the beginning, there are many people that we – All love in Hollywood that we have have hinted at this type of abuse, but they didn't have the courage to see it through to to the end that you have. And so God love you for your courage, sir. God love you for for the journey that you're on. We'll continue to pray for you and your family. But uh, thank you for your
2: time today. Praise be to Jesus Christ. What a amazing interview with my dear friend, Bug Hall, and praise be to God for him. We're going to have to have him back on. We promised we would have him on back again. And we never did. So we're going to have to do that. So I'm glad I got to hear this again. But uh, we're going to jump right into our next interview. Don't want to waste too much of your time because we have so many good interviews to get into. And so this next interview is going to be with Father Vincent Lampert. We've had him on, I think, three times. And I think this was the first time we had him on, if I'm not mistaken. And so let us know what you think, uh, Father Vincent Lampert, on demonic influence, on spiritual warfare, on what you need to do to fight against the devil, and those who would want to seek to take you down to hell. And if you don't get to hear the entirety of any of these interviews, all these interviews are available on our Catholic Drive Time YouTube channel. You just got to go to YouTube and look up Catholic Drive Time. It'll pop right up or go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. All right, without further ado, Father Vincent Lampert. Right Joining us right now via Zoom chat is
0: Father Vincent Lampert. He is a priest in the Diocese, uh, Archdiocese of Indianapolis. And an exorcist, and we're very grateful for your time this morning, Father. Thank you for being on. Yes, it's good to be with you this morning. Um, but I want to jump into uh, your work as an exorcist, uh, because I think it's one of those topics where most lay-, lay folk get our information from some of the greatest sources in Hollywood about uh, about the devil, the diabolic, and, <laughs> and most people are just def- simply afraid uh, to educate themselves on the topic. And I, I find that um, rather curious because once I personally uh, heard from exorcist exorcist and even like Adam Bly, a demonologist, for instance, I felt empowered by the information and I grew in confidence in our, in our faith versus uh, more scared or nervous or what have you. So I, I would like to start by saying, what are some of the biggest myths in your career as an exorcist that you've had to debunk?
5: So the the first thing I would say is that one of the reasons why I am public about the ministry that I do is to help educate people and to debunk a lot of the myths that are out there. Many exorcists that are appointed may opt to remain anonymous, but I've always felt that it's important today to help educate people because a lot of people today have a mentality that dualism, that somehow God and the devil are on the same playing field and they're kind of equal in their power. And certainly people need to realize that the devil is still a creature and there's no way that a creature can be elevated to the same level as God, our creator. So that's one of the main things that people need to realize is that once we fully understand who the devil is and what he's capable of and his limitations, then we come to realize that the devil is nothing to fear. That's a great point. Um, I, I wonder, have people even realized that's what they're
0: doing? Like they, they're they're saying and believing that, but they don't know that they think they know that they're saying and believing that they're sort of elevating the devil to a platform that he doesn't deserve or doesn't doesn't possess. Uh, so that's an excellent first one. What about what about more of the uh, sort of the more of the salacial details, sort of like the, the bombastic elements of demonic possession? Do do you find that like people are overly fascinated with the the,
5: the spinning of the heads, levitation, frothing <laughs> at the mouth stuff? That's usually the only stuff that people want to hear about, you know, the manifestations of the demonic always attract people's attention. There's a joke amongst exorcists that if you're going to give a talk about Jesus, about 20 people are going to show up. But if you're going to talk about the devil, 200 people are going to show up. (laughs) We're always fascinated by the manifestations of the devil, the spinning heads, the levitation, eyes rolled in the back of the head, foaming at the mouth. These are all things that I've seen over the years. But you know at some point you just realize that these are all theatrics of the devil because the devil basically is saying, look at what I'm capable of doing. So he wants to distract people away from the power of God that God wants to enact in people's lives. So as an exorcist, I'm not really focused on what the devil is doing. I want to stay focused on what God is doing to help bring bring relief into the life of somebody who is being afflicted by the evil one. You know, Father, I was talking to my cousin the other day,
2: and we were discussing the fact that uh, she was saying, like, "Oh, you know, my—they're not Catholic. Uh, my my uncle is a former Catholic." And the rest of them are not Catholic at all. And uh, my cousin was saying, "Yeah, my mom just bought a uh, some tarot cards, and she like, you know, she doesn't actually believe in it or anything. And my sister has some, and she kind of plays with them. And uh, and we went to New Orleans, and we were going to all the shops and buying the stuff. But that voodoo stuff, it's not really real, right? And uh, could you please uh, explain what's going on here? And even if you don't believe in it, like, what's the problem here?
5: Well, the main problem is that it's inherently evil. Their ties to the occult, and just because somebody may be using these things as a form of entertainment, doesn't negate the fact that there's a demonic component to it. Oftentimes, people can open up an entry point for the demon. This
6: is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. Are you worried about the war on Christmas? Don't be. G.K. Chesterton says Christmas is the irresistible festival for those who are afraid to be festive. It is the spectacular festival when almost everyone lives and acts poetry instead of just a few people writing it. It is the ancient festival, a trinity of eating, drinking, praying, that to modern seems irreverent because the holy day really is a holiday. No matter what happens, says Chesterton, the great majority will go on observing Christmas Day with Christmas gifts and Christmas benedictions, and they will continue to do it, and suddenly, someday they'll wake up and discover why. Want more than a minute? Visit us at chesterton.org.
1: Christmas is a special time of worshiping our King. May the blessing of knowing Christ enrich your life in the upcoming year. This is Diane Xavier, Production Manager for KTH 910 AM in North Texas, wishing you and your loved ones a Merry Christmas, a blessed New Year, with the comfort and protection of Christ and Our Lady.
2: voodoo stuff it's not really real right and uh could you please uh
5: explain what's going on here and even if you don't believe in it like what's the problem here well the main problem is that it's inherently evil there are ties to the occult and just because somebody may be using these things as a form of entertainment doesn't negate the fact that there's a demonic component to it oftentimes people can open up an entry point for the demonic into their lives indirectly They're doing things that they believe are fun and entertaining, but in reality, they open up people's lives to evil. Even St. Paul mentions the fact that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light, and he deceives many people. And there's a lot of people today that are being deceived by things of the occult, again, believing they're just fun and entertainment, but again, they are entry points for the demonic into someone's life. And, you know, right now, it, what's really popular is this social media
2: platform called TikTok. And it's uh, really popular among young people. And right now, all over TikTok is promoting of uh, these uh, healing crystals, using crystals and uh, manifestations, of, like willing it to the, willing something through the universe. All these things are very, very popular on uh, this social media platform targeting young people, especially children. Um, and I think it was... Um, The Teen Vogue put an article about how to do magic with uh, women's uh, menstrual, you know, there. And so the cycle. And so how do we respond to these situations, the crystals, the manifestations, all these things that are targeting our, our children, our young people?
5: Yeah, I don't think people realize that their involvement with all these things is violating the first commandment that we should never have a substitute for God in our lives and when people turn to the things of the occult, whether it's uh, crystals, going to see a psychic or a median, practicing magic, all of these things are condemned in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament because, again, people are looking for a substitute for God. And unfortunately, the substitute that they're looking for is themselves. And that's the fall of humanity in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve. When the serpent says to Eve, surely you will not die. You will, you will become like God and a lot of people today want to substitute themselves for God and they use these things from the occult to try to convince themselves that they have powers and abilities.
0: Father Vincent Lambert is our guest. He is a priest in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. He's also an exorcist and uh, I believe you you were brought into the ministry by your bishop in 2005. Was that is that correct?
5: Yes. I was appointed in 2005. The Archdiocese of Indianapolis has always had a stably appointed exorcist, even when it fell out of practice in many dioceses after the Second Vatican Council, Indianapolis has always had one. So when I was appointed back in 2005, I became one of 12 uh, stably appointed exorcists in the United States. Today, that number has grown to about 125.
0: In your time as an exorcist, what's been the most uh, nerve-wracking situation you've ever been in in this ministry?
5: I think one of the biggest challenges is that oftentimes when people contact me, they've already self-diagnosed, meaning they've gone on the internet, they've done their own research, so rarely do our people contact me saying, Father, there's something going on in my life. Can you help me figure out what it is? The majority of people already believe that they're possessed and they need an exorcism.
0: Mm. And that's been the most uh, nerve wracking or stressful component of your apostle is just dealing with all. I mean, uh, my wife would probably say that I'm possessed most of the time, so <laughs> I think it's all relative, but I imagine that uh, the 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 right of exorcism has a very systematic approach towards figuring out whether or not someone is experiencing something supernatural versus something more mundane.
5: Yes. You know, I get about 2000 calls and emails a year. Wow. (laughs) From people all over the United States, even other parts of the world who believe they're dealing with the demonic. So, you know, I try to network with other exorcist priests throughout the world. I belong to the international association of exorcists. So if I'm contacted by somebody you know, from a different country, I'd reach out to a priest or a colleague that I know there. Here in the uh, United States, I would reach out to other priests and other dioceses. But yeah, the biggest challenge is really trying to work with the volume of callers. But that tells me that faith is in decline in the lives of far too many people today. Wow. Because faith in God will lead us in one direction, and the lack of faith will lead us in another. And I think that the reason there's such a high volume of callers is that Faith is no longer relevant in people's lives. And then when they encounter something they can't explain, they believe they need to talk to an exorcist.
0: I I spoke to um, Adam Bly, I guess it was a year and a half, two years ago. Uh, I I assume you're familiar with Adam Bly, the demonologist from Pennsylvania. And one of the things he said to me was um, the sort of this diabolical, this paranormal activity is on the rise in our society. Do you see that? Has that been your experience?
5: Absolutely. You know, I always say that it's not that the devil has upped his game, but far too many people today are willing to play the devil's game. So you look at, again, people's involvement in the occult and in witchcraft and magic. You look at a lot of shows on television today. There's such a fascination with the devil, the occult, and those types of things, paranormal activity, ghost hunting, you name it. And people are just really fascinated. And the danger is because these things are inherently evil that people can be opening up an entry point to the demonic in their lives. Because ultimately, if people are living out their faith, mm. there's nothing to fear. Do,
0: so is it substantially higher? I mean, are we, he said it was like hockey stick uh, charting uh, the, the, the uh, amount of activity, amount of exorcisms and, and the work that needs to be done to help these people.
5: Do, is that accurate? Do you see it the same way? Hockey stick-like chart growth? Yeah, because when I was appointed back in two thousand and five, I got maybe one or two callers a week. Right now, I'm getting eight to ten calls a day. Wow! wow.
2: Oh, my wow! Goodness. So, what is your your? We have about two minutes before we go to a break. But uh, is your day to day work now just just being an exorcist now, or do do you still
5: do a lot of parish work? <laughs> I I'm the pastor of two parishes in Brookville, Indiana, St. Michael the <laughs> Archangel and St. Peter's. So I have two parishes, as well as uh, the exorcist. So I do have somebody that helps me. I think having a sense of humor is a good thing. So the lady that's my helper, that helps go through all the calls and emails, I call her my or assistant (laughs) Because I think when you deal with people that are, you know, kind of on the fringe, so to speak, uh, a good sense of humor is a good way to stay grounded.
0: Exorcist humor. I love that. That's great. <laughs> I can only imagine the jokes when you guys get together for your your conference. <laughs> uh, Father Vincent Lampert is our guest. He is a priest in the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. He's also an exorcist. As you have been listening, we've been talking about that. We're, we're about ready to go to a break here in just a moment. Uh, one of the, the last points, i want, you'll probably have about 30 seconds or so. Uh, the curiosity killed the cat. That's a thing, right? I mean, lay folks, we're not entitled to know all the is to know and sometimes you know because we think we ought to know it can get
5: us in trouble right absolutely yeah there are parameters that we're called to live within you know obedience is one of the key words that's uh, that needs to be tied to a life of faith and certainly adam and eve were not obedient to god and look what happened So obedience is a key element that needs to be a part of all of us, all of our lives on our spiritual journey. When people want to participate or like when lay folks
0: say, can I come hang out with you while you're in an exorcist session or exorcism session, rather, I mean, the devil can smell uh, the the weakness there and and then they do certain things to exploit that, do they not?
5: They do. You know, the, the devil works on people's memories, imaginations, the devil can watch and observe us kind of uh, identify what our weaknesses might be and then use those as to be entry points into our lives. So if people have a, a fascination with the occult, with ghost hunting, those types of things, people are actually giving the devil and his demons an entry point into their lives. And again, just because people think it's fun and entertaining doesn't negate the fact that, you know, the devil is trying to, uh, to use us. And people also need to realize that we can never use the devil. You know, we might think that sometimes we have the upper hand when it comes to the demonic, when we're engaged in occult activities, you know, like a psychic or a median, the church would say that person does not have the power that they think they have. Either they've been duped by evil that's working through them or they know it's the evil working through them and they go along with it because they want the notoriety, the attention, the money, or whatever it might be. So... There is that danger where people might begin with a sense of curiosity, but then it leads to a relationship with the demonic, and then people's lives will begin to spiral downwards. Uh, Father, I wanted to go back a little bit to what you had said a second ago
2: about the fact that your diocese has had an exorcist perpetually, uh, whereas a lot of places it kind of fell off. What is the belief in, in the spiritual world and in demonic and spiritual warfare among the clergy, the bishops, and the like? I'm thinking of specifically when the, uh, the, the great scandal, when the, the superior of the Jesuits came out saying that the devil wasn't real. And uh, it makes me remember the quote of C.S. Lewis saying that the greatest trick the devil ever played was to convince people that he wasn't real.
5: So what is the belief in the devil among clergy and bishops like today? I think that opinion is varied, even though the church very clearly teaches that uh, evil is personified in what we call the devil and his demons, it doesn't mean that uh, everyone within the church actually accepts that belief. Even in 1972, when Pope Paul, at a Wednesday audience, spoke about the reality of the devil, I think his comments caught a lot of people off guard, thinking that somehow after the second vatican council and going through the 1960s that the church had left uh, the devil behind and that if evil did exist it was nothing more than humanity's inhumane treatment of one another but the church has always consistently taught from the very beginning that evil is personified in what we call the devil and his demons but it is true that even within the church even within the hierarchy you will find a lot of people that simply reject that belief
2: and how did that belief start to fall off? Because you said that it was after the Second Vatican Council. So what happened at that time period that caused
5: belief in the in the demonic to uh, to plummet? I think as we began to grow in our understanding and knowledge, our own intelligence, so to speak, that somehow we believe that we outgrew the need for the devil. So you look at here in the United States, and the Western world, you know, we believe in a lot of— uh, you know, psychology, and certainly that does need to be factored in, but just because psychology is being factored in doesn't mean that we reject a core belief that's been a part of Catholicism from the very beginning. You know, I've, as an exorcist, I've been able to travel to other parts of the world. When I was in South Africa, for example, a few years ago, there's a culture that readily accepts spiritual realities, but I think here in the West we don't because we believe that somehow we're in control of everything. Mm. So there must be some pill or medicine that people can take to get rid of that delusion that they're dealing with the demonic. And that reminds me
2: of, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine and we're talking about how, you know, we can find good in all and everything because we know God is good and God is true. So that means everything, there must be some nugget of good and truthfulness in all things. And so we should learn from, from uh, the secular society and learn from these kind of things. And my point was, you know, whenever we were, he was referring back to, like, Aristotle, Plato, and that kind of thing. And I was like, the pre-Christian societies, there was something there because they're striving after reason in a in a way that they were unexposed to Christianity. But we today in America and, uh, and across the Western world are in a post-Christian society. We, have, we had Jesus, we had Christianity, and we rejected him. Uh, does this affect adapt-
7: Hello, I am Josefa Barrios-Sonsures, business and operations assistant for the Guadalupe Radio Network. Come, let us adore him. May the light that came into the world in Bethlehem bring you joy and peace this Christmas and throughout the new year. May God bless you.
8: Oh, little town of Bethlehem.
6: This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. G.K. Chesterton says that it is in the old Christmas carols that date from the Middle Ages that we find not only what makes Christmas poetic and soothing and stately, but what makes it exciting. The exciting quality of Christmas rests upon a great paradox that the power and center of the whole universe may be found in something very small a baby in a manger. And it's extraordinary to notice how completely this paradox of the manger was lost by the brilliant theologians, but was kept in the Christmas carols. The songs recall the main point of the story, that God once ruled the universe from a stable, and that the hands that made the stars were too small to reach the huge heads of the cattle. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org.
2: Good and God is true, so if that means everything. There must be some nugget of good and truthfulness in all things, and so we should learn from from uh, the secular society and learn from these kind of things. And my point was, you know, whenever we were, he was referring back to like Aristotle, Plato, and that kind of thing, and I was like, the pre-Christian societies, there was something there because they're striving after reason in a in a way that they were unexposed to the Christianity. But we today in America and uh, and across the Western world are in a post-Christian society. We, have ex- we had Jesus, we had Christianity, and we rejected him. Uh, does this factor in into the way, the reason why spirituality and, is on the fall and demonic activities uh, seems to be on the rise?
5: Yeah, I think that's a great point because there's a difference between exorcisms performed in what I call the apostate world and the pagan world. So in a part of the world where someone may have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ, And if they're possessed, the exorcism is immediate and effective. Sometimes people will ask, well, why do exorcisms have to be repeated? Jesus commanded the demon to leave once and it departed. But why are they repeated in the Western world? And it goes on to what you just said. Christianity built Western civilization. But now we unfortunately have a lot of people who uh, no longer believe. Mm. And people who have rejected the gospel once they've heard it, it does seem that the demonic has a greater hold on them. Father Vincent
0: Lampert is our guest. We have about, I don't know, I guess five minutes or so left in our conversation with him. Um, Father, I want to talk about the, sort of the essence of what happens during an exorcism. I think one of the misunderstandings that I've uh, personally encountered, not only in my life but in the lives of people I've talked to is that there's a misunderstanding of, of how things work in the spiritual realm. There's an order and there's, uh, the, it's very legalistic, is what I've been told. Can you talk about that?
5: It is very legalistic. So uh, just as much as there is a hierarchy within the angelic world, there is a hierarchy within the demonic world. So demons still operate under certain parameters that God permits. You know, for example, one time I was um, working with somebody who was possessed And when the demon manifested, the demon told me that it did not have to leave because the person had invited the demon in. Mm. So the demon was making a claim on the life of the person because they had made a pact with the devil. But you could say that in an exorcism, the devil or his demons are commanded to return that which they have stolen, namely a person created in the image and likeness of God. We as humans can grow in holiness and virtue And because we can grow in holiness and virtue, we can reject, uh, any, you know, connection with the demonic that we've made. The demons would try to convince us otherwise. But again, you know, you look at many of the great saints of the church, they had some pretty storied past, but they were able to overcome their past sinfulness. I think of St. Augustine, for example, Mm. and then went on to be a great saint of the church.
0: Uh, again, we're down to like two and a half minutes or so. Uh, One is, uh, people just can't be possessed arbitrarily, correct? I mean, I think that's one of the fears is that the the devil can just enter people at will and do whatever they want, and uh, and that's just not the case. No.
5: No, I mean, if that was the case, we would be living in a completely chaotic world. So demons, again, can only do that which God permits. And again, we do have free will, and if we use our free will in such a way as to create an entry point for the demonic, then the devil will certainly take advantage of that. But a a demon cannot just arbitrarily jump into someone. People have asked me before during an exorcism, is there ever the danger that the demon will jump out of one person and into another? We should never give the devil more credit than he is due. That's a powerful understanding, the trust in God in all things.
0: What about all of the manifestations that seem very scary, uh, the, the, the crazy voices we hear, the sounds and, and the levitations and all of those things? Should, uh, should we have fear of all of that?
5: No. Again, all those things are meant to be attention getters. You know, you think of a child throwing a temper tantrum, wants attention, and so the manifestations <laughs> of the demon are really a temper tantrum. Because the demon wants to say, don't look at what God's trying to do here. Look at what I'm capable of doing. Because the devil wants to instill fear. And if we give in to fear, then we lose our sense of hope. So again... You know, over the years I've learned not to pay attention to the theatrics of the devil because I want to stay focused on the power of God. The human person is created in the image and likeness of God, and if we've made a connection with the demonic and we want to reach out to God, God will always take us by the hand. Oh, uh, down to just about 60 seconds. What about uh what about prayer? Uh should someone lay hands on someone else and pray over them and cast out demons? Well, Pope uh, Benedict, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, made it very clear in 1986 that the only ones that should be giving commands to demons are the priests that have been authorized to do that ministry by their local bishop. So again, exorcism is a liturgical rite within the Catholic Church, so there is a prescribed way for it to be done. Certainly, we can pray for other people. I would call that a supplicating exorcism, which is a prayer directed to God, and certainly we can pray to God for anyone that we believe that is afflicted. Excellent. God bless you, Father Vincent Lampert. Thank you very
0: much for your time today. We're very grateful to you and for your uh, your apostolate, your ministry to educate and inform
2: us on this incredible topic. God bless you, and have a great day, Father Vincent Lampert. An amazing guest. Praise be to God. That's why that's why we've had him on three times, but I believe that was our first time interviewing him. And what a grace that was, indeed. And this next interview, which has got to be easily our most popular interview on our YouTube channel with, I think over 20,000 views is with uh, the Archbishop of Kazakhstan, Bishop Athanasius Snyder, one of my favorite bishops that are alive today. So praise be to God for that. This is our interview. Whenever the n- recent article um, from the recent, uh, motu proprio from the Vatican traditionis Custodes was just released. We had interviewed Uh, father or bishop uh, Athanasius Snyder and just a fun fact I actually had COVID during this interview I didn't know I just woke up sick and I was like I can't bail from work right now so you'll find out and hear that interview and check it out on YouTube if you don't get to hear the whole thing I want to start with the
0: rumors that we hear uh, about the potential of the revising of the Samoran Pontificum uh, there's a lot of rumors swelling around. There's some uh, credible people on the internet who have uh, sources that they're citing that say it's possible that the Vatican might revise the uh, Summorum Pontificum. It might even require priests who say the, the traditional Latin Mass and the FSSP to concelebrate in the Nova Ordo. What have you heard about these rumors and what are your thoughts in regards to them?
4: I also heard these rumors But uh, there there are no documents, therefore, uh, what we say remains hypothesis. But um, if it would be so, I think it would be a, a great damage for the life of the Church, because the traditional liturgy is a treasure and of the entire Church, not only of the present day, but also it is a treasure of the church of the past centuries and millennia. It is a treasure of the saints. Almost almost all the saints who we know grew up in this form of the holy liturgy. And therefore, I think that uh, such an act, if it would be to limit the use of the traditional liturgy, would be an abuse of power, clearly. And I think that in such a a possible hypothetical situation, if it will really happen, then the priests, I think, can continue to celebrate this mass because it is the mass of the entire church. And also the faithful have the right To what is holy and the church always acknowledged. Maybe in a a not official manner or in a kind of catacombs mass, but I think that the, the faithful and especially the young people will not allow to be deprived of this great treasure of faith, of spirituality, which nourished, nourished their Christian life in this liturgy, Your Excellency?
2: Uh, can the uh, can Rome? Can the Roman Pontiff? Can they force traditional priests to say the new mass?
4: Um, it, they can do by uh, by the right, but I think it would be a violation of the of the. Is it the spirituality where, in which the priests grew up, uh, the priests of the traditional communities who were ordained uh, in this liturgy and were trained and grew up and celebrated until now only this form of the liturgy, I think it would be to, to force them to celebrate the new Mass would be a violation, a kind of spiritual of their rights which the church gave them when they were ordained priests in this traditional mass or liturgy. It, it could, as the same that the church cannot um, force someone from another rite, for example, to celebrate another rite. Uh, and these two forms of the of the mass, the Novus Orbi and the traditional one, are really, when we are honest, they are two different rites, not only forms, because this is, it's a difference, a very great difference. And so, I think that they should not be forced to do this.
0: Bishop Athanasius Schneider is our guest, the auxiliary bishop of Kazakhstan, Your Excellency. Mr.
6: Hi, this is Robert Dominguez, General Manager for the Guadalupe Radio Network, West Texas, and New Mexico Listening Areas. As we approach the most beautiful season of the year, I would like to take this opportunity to thank each and every one of you that helped in some way or another keep Catholic Radio on the air. I pray that you have a very beautiful Christmas season, surrounded by friends and family. And as we gather with our loved ones, may we be forever thankful. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. G.K. Chesterton says that it's become a bad habit in our society to celebrate Christmas before it comes. We've forgotten the glory of anticipation. The presents should not be opened until Christmas. That, of course, is part of the excitement. And while we know the gifts are coming, Chesterton reminds us that the best kind of gift is the surprise gift and if we have the right perspective we should look at everything as a gift and every gift as a surprise gift we are happy to wake up on Christmas morning and find gifts in our stockings but the best gift we could ever find in our stockings is our own two legs want more than a minute? visit our website chesterton.org
4: someone from another rite, for example, to celebrate another rite. And these two forms of the the mass, the novus orba and the traditional one, are really, when we are honest, they are two different rites, not only forms, because this is a difference, a very great difference. And so... I think that they should not be forced to do this.
0: Bishop Athanasius Schneider is our guest, the Auxiliary Bishop of Kazakhstan. Your Excellency, just to follow up on that question, let's say the worst-case scenario happens, and the Pontificum is revised, and the Vatican asks these priests, FSSP priests, for instance, uh, to concelebrate in the ordinary form of the Mass, or the Novus Ordo, and... I imagine under that circumstance there will be many priests in the FSSP who will refuse to do so. What will happen to those priests under those circumstances?
4: Well, we do not know which which consequences the, the Vatican or the bishops will uh, will undertake for a refusal of Concelebration. But the Concelebration was never a requirement in the entire history of the church as uh, as a sign of unity with the local bishop or the Pope. And therefore, let us say, when the uh, Oriental churches in the past centuries united themselves with Rome and the, the priests of the Oriental rites, they were not asked to concelebrate. And even the, the, the praxis of concelebration was uh, very limited in the past more than 1,500 years in the church. Even concelebration was forbidden by the, by the old canon law. And only in two cases, uh, the, or for the priests, only one case, it was in their priestly ordination. It was a part of the rite. To con-celebrate with the bishop, but no more. And therefore, uh, such um, an obligation uh, will contradict the entire history of the church and, uh, and the law of the liturgy. And therefore, I think it would be also an abuse of power to force a priest to concelebrate.
0: Would We have about a minute before we go to break here, just about 60 seconds, real quick. Would those priests have any recourse? Would they uh, have to get uh, canon lawyers involved and uh, and make appeals to to the Vatican uh, to uh, try to get out of uh, whatever penalties might be enforced?
4: Well, in in this case, when the Vatican itself will will issue such a norm, there cannot be an appeal against the Vatican. This is the problem. Hold that thought.
0: But I would like to ask you, Bishop, about the SSPX. Now, I bet most people would not know that you were sent as an observer to the SSPX by the Vatican, which I think gives you incredible insight into uh, this. And there, there's a lot of myths and misconceptions about what the average layperson thinks and knows about the SSPX, Society of St. Uh, Pius the Tenth. I myself have have suffered through some of those, not understanding. I am not. I don't do not go to SSPX chapels. However, I think I had false information for the longest time. So maybe we can start with tell us what is the exact canonical status of the SSPX today.
4: Well, the Society of Pius the Tenth was founded by Archbishop Lefebvre, a very I think, a holy man, a man of God, who had a lot of merits in in a very difficult time of the church, even during the council and after the council. And he founded the Society of Christ the Tense almost 50 years ago in Switzerland, and it got the approbation of the bishop there and um, a document which... Um, Uh, which praised this from the Vatican in those times. But after, because of the reasons we know, uh, that they wanted to exclusively celebrate the the traditional mass, and then the the critics about some problematic statements of the Vatican Council, uh, ultimately brought uh, to a conflict and then uh, the Vatican, the Holy See, proposed a solution in 88, 1988, to give them a status, canonical status, and a, a promise of a bishop. But uh, the Archbishop uh, Lefebvre um, uh, evaluated the situation as, as not sure, and uh, the Vatican re- rejected all his candidates, which he proposed to the Pope for the the Episcopate. And so it was created really like a a mistrust between him. And so it was for him a sign that uh, the Holy See will not approve a future Society of Pius X, which uh, will also propose uh, critiques or um, constructive critiques of some expressions of Vatican II, and go this uh, direction in any case, and then we know it was then the fact of the consecrations of the bishops in '88, and this uh, was as, as a consequence, the excommunication of the archbishop and the four uh, ordained bishops. But then it was the Holy See uh, and o- also the Society of Pious tens maintained, nevertheless, contacts and to seek a solution. Uh, for the benefit of the faithful, lastly, and, for the, and for, the, for the church, for the benefit of the church. And so during the pontificate of Pope Benedict, the 16th uh, they were made two very important uh, steps uh, to normalize the situation it was in 2007 when Benedict issued the motu proprio, Summorum Pontificum, uh, giving the freedom of all priests to celebrate this Mass. In any, in some way, he reestablished the right of the traditional Mass in the church, which was always one of the main um, demands of Archbishop Lefebvre and the Society of Pius X. Uh, and then the other, In 2009, Pope Benedict lifted uh, the excommunication uh, on these four bishops and so they are not more excommunicated and therefore not outside the church because excommunication was lifted. They are are only in a um, canonically uh, not yet recognized situation and therefore uh, some of their acts are not uh, illicit but they are valid. Uh, such as the celebration of the Holy Mass. And then came another, uh, two other uh, important steps under the pontificate of the current Pope Francis, that Pope Francis granted to all the priests of the Society of Pius X the faculties of confession, which extends all over the world. So it was a very generous act. And so it's difficult to say that uh, these priests are outside a church or or schismatics then they got when they possess the faculties, ordinary faculties of confession given by the pope himself and so and then the Pope um, authorized uh, the, the bishops uh, or the parish priests to grant, the priests of the Society of Pious X, the faculties to assist canonically to matrimonies, to marriages. And there are uh, several bishops in the church who by the pair decree gave uh, to the uh, priests of the Society of Pious X the general faculty to assist matrimonies in, in their diocese. And even there are some bishops who wrote in this context that faithful who will assist to these celebrations of the marriage by a priest of the Society of Pius X can licitly assist in the Holy Mass which will be celebrated. So we see there is a situation which is uh, always closer to a canonical normalization. And, um, and this is good, we have to be uh, happy that uh, the situation can be resolved and the Society of Pius X can be present and operate inside the church for the benefit of the church, for therefore through renewal of the church, for keeping of the tradition of the faith and the liturgy and the spiritual life. Because... Uh, basically, actually, the society of power is the tense. Uh, does not other thing, as the church believed, as the church worshipped, as, as the church lived until the council, all the centuries. And so we have to be uh, hope. We have to hope that uh, they got. They will get the full canonical recognition. I hope soonly. It would be good, and then the Society of Pius X will be a normal reality as other realities inside the church. It, and this is necessary for our time. In this in this crisis, in this time of darkness and confusion, we do need new communities, a new presence of, of a community and priests and lay. People who simply keep the face of all ages and the mass of all ages, and this uh, will do. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Unfortunately,
2: we're going to have to cut off the good Archbishop right there. If you want to hear the rest of that interview and any of the interviews that you, don't, that you did not get to hear, that you did not get to finish... All of those are available on our website or on our YouTube channel, Catholic Drive Time. Just look up on YouTube, Catholic Drive Time and Bishop Athanasius Snyder or whoever it is that you were looking for. And we have that interview right there on our YouTube channel. But God love you. Thank you very much for listening to us in this 2021 year. And when we come back, when we see you again live, we will be back in the studio and it'll be 2022. Can you imagine? So pray for us. And in the next hour, if you're able to join us, we have more interviews for you of our best of shows. So praise be to God. I look so forward to sharing all of these interviews with you very soon. God love you. God bless you. And we'll see you on the other side or tomorrow. God bless you. Thank you for joining us on Your
1: Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time
10: From St. Luke's Gospel, the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, this is the sixth month for her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. As we celebrate Christmas, let's bring in possible measures of joy and love to all. I'm Joseph Schuler with Guadalupe Radio Network, and I wish you a happy and holy Christmas.
6: This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. G.K. Chesterton says, All comfort must be based on discomfort. What's that supposed to mean? It has something to do with the fact that we celebrate Christmas in December. It is the feast in the middle of winter. We are choosing to be joyful at the very moment when the whole material world around us is most sad. We are defying cold death outside by celebrating life inside. And that's why there's nothing more comfortable than a blazing fire in the middle of a blizzard, and why we bring a green tree inside and decorate it and talk of good cheer in the face of darkness and death, tidings of comfort and joy. Because all comfort is based on discomfort. Want more than a minute? visit us at Chesterton.org. Hi listeners, Sean here. Join me in this short meditation on the birth of Jesus
0: from Luke's Gospel, chapter two, verses 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, be not afraid for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which will come to all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. On behalf of all of us here at the GRN in South and Central Texas, have a blessed Christmas celebration. May God bless you and Mary smile upon you. Amen.
4: your Catholic Drive Time.
6: Keeping you informed and inspired.
5: We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started
1: on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican
2: to the White House and everything in between. It's
6: serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time.
2: Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ and welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your producer, Adrian Fonseca, and today we have a best of show. There is no game show today because Joe and I and Rudy are on vacation. We're not going to be in until next week. And so we decided to give you a best of show. And so for the first interview you're going to hear is a a continuation of the interview with Bishop Athanasius Snyder that we started in the last hour. And if you missed that, then don't worry. You can always go to our website, our grnonline.com forward slash cdt. And you can find it there or on our YouTube channel, Catholic Drive Time. Just look it up, and you'll be able to find that interview there. Alrighty, without further ado, let's pray the Memorare, and we're going to jump right into that interview. Uh, Don't want to waste any time. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Remember, O Most Gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to Thy protection, implored Thy help, or sought Thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy. Hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And then, without further ado, we're going to throw you right into this interview with Bishop Athanasius Snyder, one of our most popular interviews of all time on the recent moda proprio from the Holy Father on Traditionis Custodes. And this is happened, this came out literally hours before Traditionis Custodes was released. So we'll jump into the interview now.
4: He as the Church worshipped. As the church lived until the council, all the centuries, and so we have to be uh, hope to have to hope that uh, they got they will get the full canonical recognition. I hope soonly it would be good, and then the society of Pius X will be a normal reality as other realities inside the church. It, and this is necessary for our time, in this, in this crisis, in this time of darkness and confusion, we do need new communities, a new presence uh, of, of a community and priests and lay people who simply keep the face of all ages, and the mass of all ages, and this uh, will do. So the Society of Pius X the is their priests
2: and faithful. Uh, your Excellency, we have about three minutes left in our conversation, and I was wondering, uh, what about the laity? Uh, you have your average layperson who, you know, they can't figure out, parse through all these canonical status and the confusion with all these different things. Can they take refuge at a society parish or a society chapel rather? Uh, would that be licit? Would that be uh, allowed?
4: I think when there is no other possibilities, of course, because uh, they can confess licitly to go to the confession with the approval of the Pope. And uh, and then the same priest who gave them the absolution, it would be strange that uh, that they cannot assist at, at his Mass, Holy Mass. And so the, the sacraments, the Holy Mass, are given for the salvation of souls, for the benefit of the souls. And I think that when there is uh, difficult for for normal Catholics to to reach a traditional mass, and there is a possibility closer uh, of the Society of Pius attends, or to go they can go go there, or to get a good catechism for the children or for young people. Therefore, I think that since they are not outside the church with these acts, which I enumerated already. Uh, but have some not resolved canonical problems it it, it seems to me that it, it is licit that uh, that lay people can go when there is a reason
0: well, we have about a minute and a half left in our conversation with bishop athanasius schneider uh okay so Going back to the rumors surrounding the revision of Summorum Pontificum, if that were to happen, and God forbid, but if that were to happen, how would that affect the SSPX? Would those priests also be asked to uh, concelebrate the Novus Ordo? Would they do that? Any thoughts there?
4: I think not, and even if, if they will be asked, they will not do this, because they are yet not yet under uh, complete... Um, submission to the Holy See, therefore they will not be mm, uh, forced, I think. And in this case, I think if the other priests of 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 the society of of the fraternity of St. Peter or other will be forced to concelebrate the new mass, I think that there will be priests who will join the Society of Pius X, mm-hmm. because they have in this case some more independence. To, to keep the tradition of the Church. But I hope that it will not happen. Let us pray first that the Holy Spirit will illuminate the Pope, not to, to limit uh, the, the motto properly of Pope Benedict XVI, and also that the Society of Pius X can receive a fuller Amen. Full recognition Amen. for the Church. If- Praise be to Jesus Christ. That was a great interview
2: with Bishop Athanasius Snyder, one of my favorite bishops uh, alive today. Praise be to God for him. If you want to check out that interview or any of our other interviews that we have missed, that you may have missed, or only got a part of, well, you can check it out at our YouTube channel, Catholic Drive Time, or go to our website, grnonline.com. Forward slash CDT. We've interviewed the good bishop about three times. So if you want to see this interview or any of the other ones in full, you can find it there. But the next interview is a great interview, and it's in regards to a topic that we get all the time. What is that topic? That topic is, what happens if my kids lose the faith? If my kids have lost the faith, what can we do to bring them back? And we're interviewing Father Sebastian Walsh. On this exact topic, on his book, on the topic. And Father Sebastian Walsh is a priest with the Norbertine Fathers in California. In fact, it's kind of amazing because I have a couple friends who have actually gone off and joined the Norbertines since then. My friend Frater Geryon joined the Norbertines about over a year ago. He actually sings the intro to my podcast on uh, my Catholic Conversations podcast that I have and uh, i kind of lost that file so it's no longer being played and he and then another one of my friends adrian which coincidentally has the same first name as me who uh, just took the name literally days ago frater dominic after saint dominic and so now he is a frater dominic and he had just joined the norbertines as well so praise be to god for the norbertines what a blessing they are to the church and without further ado Let's jump right into that interview with Father Sebastian Walsh. We don't want to waste any of your time, so let's get into that interview. And if you want to hear that interview in full, uh, just like all our other interviews, you can find them on our YouTube channel. Just look up Catholic Drive Time, Father Sebastian Walsh, and you'll find it right there.
0: All right, joining us right now by phone, all the way from uh, sunny California,
2: where it never snows
0: or ices or gets below 72 degrees, (laughs) according to their state legislation, uh, is Father Norbertine, Father Sebastian Walsh. Good morning to you, Father. Thank you for being on the program.
10: Absolutely. It's good to be here, Joe.
0: You have a book out, Father, called Always Catholic, How to Keep Your Kids in the Faith for Life and Bring Them Back if They Strayed. i got to tell you, Father, uh, here at the Catholic Radio Apostolate, uh, Guadalupe Radio Network, we, we hear from listeners all the time. And one of the, the number one prayer requests we get, uh, by far, is pray for my lost children who have left the faith that is such a common prayer uh what motivated you to write this this book in particular i think it's published by catholic answers if i'm not mistaken
10: that's right it's published published by catholic answers well at uh there's a parish i help out at on sundays in san clemente called our lady of fatima and once a month at least before the pandemic happened once a month i would have a question and answer after mass just an open form question and answer for the parishioners to come to to ask any questions about the Catholic faith. It was an opportunity, you know, to catechize and then, you know, allow the, the, the faithful to get more than they could get just in, you know, an ordinary homily. And the number one question I had was, how do I keep my kids Catholic or how do I help my my kids who have strayed from the faith come back? And it was such a common question, and I had to so often you know give advice and then ask particular questions about their the state of their child or whatever and then give advice on that that i start giving talks on the the matter just in general and um one of the apologists from catholic answers was at that talk uh, the one of the talks and he said why don't you write a book for this so that's what i did and it really does seem to fill a great need among the catholic faithful especially parents
0: Uh, father sebastian walsh from the Norbertines is our guest today Now, I understand that this is a common prayer, as we just talked about, but I think in my experience, Father, having talked to a lot of parents over the years, Catholic parents, I think one of the things that they run into is the pressure in society to rush their kids off to college in particular, but let's say rush their kids off into society, and maybe those kids aren't prepared to stand on their own two ground, whether it's peer pressures or... Or what, or just life in general, or what have you? Um, how do you see that? Do our parents, our parents, rushing their kids too quickly into the great world on, on their own?
10: Well, one of the points I make in the book is that, that our children's, the children's generation today, is completely different than their parents' generation was, and which is much different than their parents' generation was, and so. Um, We have this idea that, you know, the educational system is more or less faith neutral and our kids, we just put them out there and as long as we gave them the good foundation, you know, in K through 12 or something like that, that therefore they're going to be fine sailing the rest of their life. They can go wherever they want, you know, for college because the, the world is more or less, the educational system is more or less faith neutral. Or if you send them to a Catholic college, you would hope that would support their faith. Well, that's been... In fact, the opposite of the truth, you know, when you actually go and you see what's being taught in these universities, and even ones that go by the name Catholic, many, I should say, um, what you find is they're positively designed, the educational system, to dismantle the faith. And usually someone who's had a, an education of the faith up to 12th grade is in no position to really um, answer the objections of people who are, you know, much older than them and who have, you know, studied this in a way to really try and raise objections to the faith that your kids wouldn't be able to handle. And then besides that, there's a social pressure of the, the vast number of other children who are not from Catholic backgrounds who are raised just in the society as a whole and who are basically saying, you know, I, I see the Catholic church as the largest institution of injustice in the world. That's, that's, how you know very many non-catholic young people come to college and so um, young catholic people are getting it from all sides and so one of the points i make is not only do you have to be careful about their education you know getting up to 12th grade and knowing they get an authentic catholic education there but you also have to make sure that if they go to a college that they go to some place that's not going to dismantle their faith and preferably they would go to a really good Catholic college where they, they know how to educate kids in such a way that they'll be able to stand on their own two feet and then from there, you know, go on to somewhere else. But, um, but you can't just, you know, count on the fact that, you know, a, a Catholic college is going to do that for you. You know, even in back in the 50s, I mentioned in my book, my dad went to Notre Dame, Got his faith dismantled at Notre Dame in the 1950s. They told him there's no hell. They told him there's no devil. They told him the only thing you need to do to be um, saved is to feed the poor. And you know that my dad, you know, suffered from that for years, decades after his time at Notre Dame. And this is in the mid 1950s. So Catholic parents need to open their eyes. And I give a whole list of ways of identifying an authentic Catholic educational institution from one that's false as part of the uh, one of the chapters in my book.
1: Now, Father Walsh, Emily here. I actually, um, I went to Catholic school my entire life, so I can attest to the fact that it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to stay in the church, because I left the church briefly for a while. Um, but my parents were very steadfast in their faith. They continued to pray for me. But in the world today, um, there's so many things that, that you mention in your book that are Tempting and luring children away from the church in a material sense. There are the transitory pleasures You know you you mentioned sex and that you know sinful things like that But then there's also philosophies political philosophies relativism Um, We have to go to a break right now, but afterwards I'd like to hear what you think is the biggest threat to uh, Children losing their faith today Right. I wanted to know what you think the biggest potential threat is to children losing their faith
10: Great well, I I'm going to answer that question in two ways because there's really two ways that children
2: Howdy. This is Adrian Fonseca wishing you a Merry Christmas from the Catholic Drive Time team. A brief meditation on Christmas. The virgin adored him, saying, O Lord, you indeed have come from heaven to earth for the salvation of men. I adore you because as God you are my creator, and as human you are my son. Joseph adored him, saying, O Lord, you have granted me such a grace. Kings and prophets wished to see you, and they did not see. But to me, a sinner, you have given such a grace that I should see you. Merry Christmas and God love you. Hi,
4: this is Lan Oswald, president
2: of the Guadalupe
4: Radio Network. My wife Joanne and I would like to wish all of our GRN listeners and their families a very blessed Christmas and a happy new year.
7: Hi, this is toya hall vice president of the guadalupe radio network i want to thank you guadalupe radio family for your prayers and gifts that provide support for your grn station i pray that you and your loved ones will have a most blessed advent a joyful christmas and
1: a new year filled with peace and love pleasures you know you, you mentioned sex and that you know sinful things like that but then there's also philosophies political philosophies relativism um, we have to go to a break right now, but afterwards, I'd like to hear what you think is the biggest threat to uh, children losing their faith today. Right. I wanted to know what you think the biggest potential threat is to children losing their faith.
10: Great. Well, I, I'm going to answer that question in two ways, because there's really two ways that children end up leaving the faith. One is the way that you did, and that is where where uh, a child will temporarily leave the faith um, for a time, and then they'll come back after a few years or something like that, after kind of a, you know, a few years of straying. And then there's a more long-term, you know, departure from the faith that, that often, you know, takes decades um, to heal. The first kind of departure from the faith that's shorter and easier to cure are usually due to things that you mentioned, namely, um, difficulties with regard to just understanding how the Catholic Church is not, you know, a cause of injustice or um, error or just ridiculous or things like that. Um, I, I make a big point at the beginning of my book of saying, look, the main reason why your children will stay Catholic and want to stay Catholic is because they'll see the connection between being Catholic and being happy. If they see that connection, they'll never leave the faith. But one of the reasons they cease to see that connection is because they think some aspects, some essential aspects of the faith are false. And so they'll leave because they hear different worldly philosophies. They're immersed in the world and in a very Catholic, I mean anti-Catholic world environment that supplies young people with all sorts of arguments from the time they're little kids. So that's the first reason I'll say something about the antidote for that in a minute. The second reason, which is why, children leave the faith for more long term, at least in my experiences, there's deeper family of origin issues. There's problems at the level of the relationship of the parents to each other and to the children. Um, and, and very often you'll get something like this. You'll have maybe one parent who's very devout and the other one who's not. And the parent who's devout will um, often be trying to protect the child from the non-devout parent. You know, for example, the mother will be trying to protect the child from the father and saying, don't be like your father. You know, he's this and that, and he doesn't practice faith. And what they see is the the Catholic spouse, or the one who's more devout anyway, constantly criticizing the other one. Now, a child receives this as saying, the Catholic faith drives a wedge between my parents. Why do I want that faith? And so the, the children and families like that they don't want anything to do with the Catholic faith because they associate it with a broken family. And that's the last thing they want for their lives. And so they just go their own way, and it takes sometimes decades for them to, to come back and realize that that wasn't really it, but it, it sure seemed like it from their perspective when they were young. So, um, so real quickly, what's an antidote for the first and the second? Um, the antidote for the first is parents need to be much more vigilant than they are over what their children take in. I think it's crazy, for example, for parents to be giving smartphones to teenagers. Um, but, you know, and that may be very unpopular in the modern world, but I'm sorry, you know, Jesus was also unpopular. The fact of the matter is your children are being exposed to things you have no idea about on the internet and and. There's no way that they should be exposed to those those sort of things without you being able to help them, okay? Um, also, you know, their kid, their friends. Who are their friends and who are, your, who are they spending time with, et cetera? Where are they going to school? Those are things that parents should have an open conversation with their kids about and not be afraid to say, no, we're going to take you out of this environment. It's dangerous for you. With regard to the first, um, the real difficulty there is that the, the parent who's devout needs to recognize the Catholic faith teaches that the believing husband sanctifies the unbelieving wife and the believing wife sanctifies the unbelieving husband. And that means that the Catholic faith teaches us to be more attentive, loving, faithful, affectionate towards the non-believing spouse or the less devout spouse because of our Catholic faith. And the children need to see mom or dad love their other parent even more because they're Catholic, not that they're trying to distance themselves from them. We're talking with Father Sebastian Walsh from the Norbertines
0: about his book, Always Catholic, How to Keep Your Kids in the Faith for Life and Bring Them Back if They Have Strayed. Now, Father, as you were talking there, there's a joke at my house that's a long-running joke. It's the things I will never regret while lying on my deathbed. In fact, (laughs) I'm giving this very talk at the Virtual Catholic Men's Conference coming up. I think it's next week, next weekend on the 19th. Mm -hmm. Um I've given this very talk on a couple of occasions. Uh, Things I will never regret on my deathbed. Not giving them more time on the Internet. I won't regret that. (laughs) Not letting them play more video games. You're not going to get me to regret that on my deathbed. Not letting them have Mm -hmm. access to the latest and greatest devices or or things or entertainment just because Johnny has them. I'm never going to regret these things. Cutting the uh, cable television out of our house over a decade ago now, it seems, Uh, it was a smart decision for my wife and I. Um, not only because Absolutely. I was addicted to it, but because they were going to be addicted to it. Um, mm-hmm. But that's a tough pill to swallow for for, for families, Father. How do you, how do you get families well, to accept this hard truth?
10: Well, one of the things I point out is um, social media, um, television, Internet, most people use those things as emotional anesthesia. And most people will be willing to admit that. In other words, they're bored, they're sad, they're, you know, they don't want to have to deal with difficult things in their life. So they just go online or they just go and they sit in front of the television to just make it go away. And once people recognize, Hey, why am I watching television? Why am I sitting for hours on the internet? And the answer is emotional anesthesia. I'm just trying to take the pain away. Well, what would a doctor say if you had a bad, you know, pain in your leg and you just kept on taking a bunch of painkiller and not addressing the problem? I think a doctor would tell you, stop taking the anesthesia. It's, it's making you ignore something that's a real problem. You have to address this problem. And I say the same thing to parents out there, you know, don't just take the easy way out. You have to address real problems and you have to talk them through and you have to have a healthy family, not an anesthetized family. Okay. So, so, once people recognize that, and I think most people are willing to admit, yeah, that's why I'm doing it. And that's maybe why my kids are doing it. Then you can sit down and say, we need a healthy family. We need healthy relationships. We need healthy conversations. We need to ask forgiveness and give forgiveness. We need to change our lives for things so that we're actually, we actually enjoy just being around each other and talking to each other. Those sort of things go a long way in fixing this problem.
1: Now, most parents today um, have not been very well catechized. That's just a, you know, something that the Church has been struggling with for a while. What would you say to parents who feel that they're not capable of, of teaching the full truths and theology of our tradition to their children?
10: Yeah, well, the failure in catechesis, as you mentioned, goes way back, and so most parents are actually living under the the consequences of that failure Mm -hmm. you know our grandparents you know probably were you know much much better educated than our parents you know that sort of thing so um fortunately there's one thing that the internet does provide and that is access to excellent catechetical tools right i point out catholic answers is an excellent resource for people Um, I recommend to everyone, if you don't have a catechism in the Catholic Church, you know, the edition put out under St. John Paul II. If you don't have one in your home, you need to have one in your home um, so that you have that. Um, One of the things I recommend when you're starting with young children is that you go through, like at the breakfast table, you have a nice conversation at breakfast and you read a little section of the catechism, you know, with your kids every single day, um, whether it's a nice little the old Baltimore catechism or another one, or even the big catechism, you read a little section every day for breakfast and you talk to your kids about it and you do that for years and you get through the whole catechism. So um, we have excellent resources today that, that didn't exist before. And the only reason someone's badly catechized today is because they haven't put the effort forth. You can find excellent catechesis um make sure that it's it's not posing as catholic when it's not right make sure it's got either you know an imprimatur from um the holy see where it's you know you're you're talking about something that's issued by the holy see or that it's from a very reputable catholic source like catholic answers or another good catholic um source like that
1: Now, Father Walsh, we have a question from the audience right now.
0: But you only have two minutes to go.
1: Uh, Patty on Facebook. I can do it. I'll do it. Patty on Facebook says, "How can you help grandkids when the parents aren't actively involved in the church and the kids don't want the interference?"
10: Yeah, that's a difficult thing. With um, many grandparents, like I said, are better educated than their own children are. So, in a case like this, the best thing you can do is recognize first. It's not your place to replace their parents. Mm. Their parents have a natural um, right to educate their own children, and it's not your place to take over for the parents, okay? And that's really important because when children see their grandparents interfering in their parents' rights, then it makes them want the Catholic faith less, right? Instead, the role of grandparents there is, first of all, with their own children, to show them how being a Catholic helped them to stay together, to love one another, to be happier, to get through the trials and difficulties of life. And then also to the grandchildren, if you're having any struggles, let me know, and then offering third to pray with them. If there's one thing that, um, that helps keep families together, it's prayer, especially saying the rosary every day and daily mass. And if you invite your children and grandchildren to pray without any pressure, then at the very least they'll know that um, grandma and grandpa are people of prayer and that makes them better people
0: all right praise be to jesus christ well done You got it done in time. Father (laughs) Sebastian Walsh from the Norbertines. His book is Always a Catholic. How to keep your kids in the faith for life and bring them back if they have strayed. It comes out on Monday from Catholic Answers. We've linked to it at Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Thank you,
10: Father Walsh, for your time today. We're very grateful to you. You're most welcome. Thanks so much, Joe and Emily. God bless you.
2: Praise be to Jesus Christ. What a beautiful interview with Father Sebastian Walsh. If you want to see that interview or you want to share this interview with someone that you know that really needs to hear this interview with Father Sebastian Walsh, all you have to do is go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT, or go to our YouTube channel, And just look up Catholic Drive Time on YouTube and you'll find it. And then type right there, Father Sebastian Walsh, Catholic Drive Time should pop right up. So praise be to God. That's going to do it for today's interviews. And don't worry, tomorrow we have more of our best of Catholic Drive Time. So thank you for being a faithful listener for over a year at this point. Praise be to God for that. And we are going to be back tomorrow with more of our best of interviews for 2020 and 2021. So praise be to God. And we will be right back in studio on Monday with more of your regularly scheduled programming. So tune in on Monday and with a brand new year, 2022. And Rudy Carlos will be in the studio for the first time. Praise be to God for that. It'll be amazing. So I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. So God bless you. God love you. And we'll see you same, same time, same place tomorrow morning. God bless and God love you. Merry Christmas.
8: Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate the sixth day in the octave of Christmas. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. God rest you merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay For Jesus Christ our Savior was born upon this day to save us all from Satan's power when we work on astray. Oh, oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, oh, tidings of comfort and joy.
9: When a profound silence covered all things and night was in the middle of its course, your all-powerful word, O Lord, bounded from heaven's royal throne. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord be with you.
11: And with your spirit.
9: My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. You were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord, have mercy.
11: Lord, have
8: mercy.
9: You came to call sinners. Christ, have mercy.
8: Christ, have mercy.
9: You are seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. Lord, have mercy.
8: Lord, have mercy.
9: May almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Glory to God in the highest
8: and, and on, on earth, earth peace,
9: peace to people of good will. We praise
8: you, we bless you, you. we adore you. you. We glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father. Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God. have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone, are the Lord. you alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High. Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit. In the glory of God the Father. Amen amen
9: let us pray grant we pray almighty god that the newness of the nativity in the flesh of your only begotten son may set us free for ancient servitude holds us bound beneath the yoke of sin through our lord jesus christ your son who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the holy spirit god forever and ever Amen.
7: A reading from the first letter of St. John. I am writing you children, because your sins have been forgiven for His namesake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have conquered the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God remains in you and you have conquered the evil one. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, sensual lust, enticement for the eyes, and a pretentious life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Yet the world and its enticement are passing away, but whoever does the will of God remains forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice give to the lord you families of nations give to the lord glory and praise give to the lord the glory due his name let Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice bring gifts and enter his courts worship the lord in holy attire tremble before him all the earth let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice Say among the nations, the Lord is King. He has made the world firm not to be moved. He governs the peoples with equity. Let Let the the heavens be glad and and the
8: earth rejoice. Alleluia, 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 A holy day has dawned upon us. Communions and adore the Lord. Today a great light has come upon the earth. Alleluia. Alleluia.
9: Alleluia. Alleluia. The Lord be with you.
8: And with your spirit.
9: A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke.
11: Glory to you, o Lord.
9: There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived seven years with her husband after her marriage, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day with fasting and prayer. And coming forward at that very time, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had fulfilled all the prescriptions of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, you,
8: Lord Jesus Christ. Christ.
9: Yesterday we encountered the figure of, of Simeon, who was filled with the Holy Spirit and recognized the child Jesus when he came to the temple. Today, we hear that in the gospel of this prophetess Anna, who was a widow, but she she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day with fasting and prayer. When Jesus came as a little baby, she recognized him. I think there's always, I think there's an Anna in every single parish in the world. <laughs> One who is always there, perhaps an older woman who's there in prayer, prayer and fasting, offering her life, uh, purifying herself, readying herself for the kingdom of God. And also I think probably praying and fasting for all of us, especially for all in that in that parish. That prayer and fasting is a way of purifying the heart. I think that's what St. John is really speaking about in that first reading. He, he gives those encouraging words to children to fathers and to young men, especially the last one I think is significant. He says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. I I wish that would be true for every single one of us. (laughs) But we recognize what St. John shows us is there's this battle that is going on. Christ, because he has come into the world, and already when he comes into the world, there is this resistance to his mission. Herod, for instance, kills all babies two and under in Bethlehem. There's already this opposition to him. But Jesus, because he is this new measure for us, we recognize there's this contrast. There's this battle. If we measure, if we try to measure ourselves according to Christ, we realize that we fall way short and that there is this need for this purification of heart in order that we may become more and more like Christ. There's this battle. And if we compare ourselves to each other, well, you can see we have a lot of problems. As one, as you hear it sometimes often said, he says, I don't go to church because there's, there's everybody's a hypocrite there. And as one pastor once responded, he says, well, there's always room for one more. <laughs> Isn't it true? Because we in our own lives, we recognize that we don't quite measure up to Christ, but that, but the grace of God has been given to us. The love of God has become visible so that we can through God's grace, then purify ourselves, ready for, for to receive God in our hearts in a more profound way, that the grace of God can be more effective in our life. And so St. John, he he points out to us there's these three things in particular. Uh, he says, do not love the world or the things of the world, because sensual lust, enticement of the eyes, and a pretentious life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Of course, there's God had created everything good, and that's not, St. John is not saying we should reject everything, but we recognize that weakness in us, we recognize that downfall because of sin, because of the disobedience of the first sin, and so there's these movements of our, we could call it our sensitive appetite, which is contrary to the operation of our reason, and that's what we call in the Christian tradition concupiscence, concupiscence, sensual lust or lust, enticement of the eyes, And a pretentious life sometimes calls the pride of life. These three things which we must fight against. We recognize that there's this flesh in us that is weak and that wants to fall short. And yet the grace of God wants to lift us up like St. John. as He speaks to those children, to fathers, to young men, to encourage us, lifts us up out of sin. But we need this purification of heart, to have this purity of heart, whereby our intellects and our wills are attuned to God's holiness And this happens through three ways in particular, through charity, through charity, to love God with a pure heart. Also through chastity, moderation, modesty, these things, these are important. And then also through a love of the truth, that is, and the orthodoxy of faith. In fact, we see there's this purity between our heart, mind, our body, and our faith. And as one of the fathers of the church says, we must believe the articles of the creed so that by believing we may obey God, by obeying we may live well, and by living well we may purify our hearts, and with pure hearts may understand what we believe." This is the essence of what St. John wants to show to us in that first reading today, to be purity of heart. So we need to practice that virtue of, of chastity, that's important. A very great gift, but which we love with upright and undivided hearts. We should have a, an impurity of intention. By which we really seek to fulfill God's will in everything in our life we also need a purity of vision by which we discipline our feelings our imaginations we have that custody of the eyes which is very important and that we we as turn aside any inclination towards sin or anything that would bring us away from God's commandments and finally is what we see and especially in that in Anna that prophetess and that in the gospel today prayer we need prayer. Prayer will help us to purify our hearts so that we can recognize Jesus in our life, and in the lives of others. May we really continue to enter into this battle. St. John encourages us, we need to keep fighting. We should never give up. We're never ready to wave the white flag to say, I've had enough. No, we have to fight this battle so that we can enter into the eternal rest of God. Somebody once asked me, he says, why do we speak about heaven as rest I mean, it's not like we're going to be sitting there by a pool drinking Mai Tais, right? Not doing anything. No, we're going to be at work doing God's work. But that rest is that we finally do not have to keep battling against sin. And maybe you can, to put it all together, it was St. Louis de Marie de Montfort who said on his very the very last breath of his life, finally, I will not sin again. Finally, I can come and Jesus is going to be everything and my life so let us with st. John to help us and st. Anna who is uh, who who helps us to recognize with a pure heart keep fighting that battle for purity and heart that we may see God amen let's now stand and offer our prayers and intercessions we pray for the Holy Church of God may it be an ever more credible and and transparent witness to the transforming power of God's grace in, the li- in our lives as Christians, we pray to the Lord.
11: Lord, hear our prayer.
9: Let us pray for our Holy Father and for his intentions for this month of December for catechists, we pray to the Lord.
11: Lord, hear our prayer.
9: Let us pray for peace throughout the world. We pray that those who govern us may be very attentive to the working of the Holy Spirit in their deliberations, that they may always respect life. From conception to natural death. We pray to the Lord.
11: Lord, hear our prayer.
9: We pray for children, for fathers, for young men, that they may conquer the world. The word of God may be deeply rooted in their hearts, and they may overcome the evil one in their lives. We pray to the Lord.
11: Lord, hear our prayer.
9: We pray for those who have been given the gift of prophecy like Anna in the gospel today, that they may attune their minds and their hearts to recognize God's presence in the world and in the lives of those around them, we pray to the Lord.
11: Lord, hear our prayer.
9: We pray for the sick and who are in the suffering, for those who have any need, we pray to the Lord.
11: Lord, hear our
9: prayer. And finally, let us remember those who have died. May they truly rest in peace, we pray to the Lord.
11: Lord, hear our prayer.
9: Heavenly Father, hear our prayers and grant our petitions through Christ our Lord.
8: Amen. Amen. Once in royal David's city Stood a lowly cattle shed Where a mother laid her baby In a manger for his bed Mary was that mother mild Jesus Christ her little child. He came down to earth from heaven, who is God and Lord of all. And his shelter was a stable, and his cradle was a stall. With the poor and mean and lowly, lived on earth, our Savior holy.
9: Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father.
8: May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and good of all his holy church.
9: Receive with favor, O Lord, we pray, the offerings of your people, that what they profess with devotion and faith may be theirs through these heavenly mysteries, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you.
8: And with your spirit.
9: Lift up your hearts.
8: We lift them up to the Lord.
9: Let us give thanks to the Lord our God.
8: It is right and just.
9: It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For through Him the holy exchange that restores our life has shone forth today in splendor. When our our frailty is assumed by your word, not only does human mortality receive an unending honor, but by this wondrous union we too are made eternal. And so in company with the choirs of angels we praise you, and with joy we proclaim,
8: Sanctus, 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 Sanctus deus deus about. Plenis utce lia terra, gloria tua. Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui in nomine domini. Hosanna in excelsis.
9: Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with
8: your spirit.
9: Let us offer to the sign of peace.
8: Aniustai quittolis <laughs> peccatamundi miserere nobis. Aniustai quittolis peccatamundi miserere nobis no peace on you stay Queen To Peccaamui Dona no be
9: Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace.
11: An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy Eucharist, and I desire to receive you. Although I cannot receive you sacramentally at this time, please at least come spiritually into my heart. Embrace you as if you were already there. Amen.
8: Of the Father's love begotten, ere the world began to be, he is Alpha and Omega. He the source, the ending, he Of the things that are, that have been And that future years shall see Evermore and evermore O that birth forever blessed when the Virgin, full of grace, by the Spirit, blessed conceiving, bore the Savior of our race, and the Babe, the world's Redeemer, first revealed his sacred face, Evermore and evermore.
9: Let us pray. O God, who touch us through our partaking of your sacrament, work, we pray, the effects of its power in our hearts, that we may be made fit to receive your gift through this very gift itself, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you
8: and with your spirit
9: Almighty god bless you the father and the son and the holy spirit amen go in peace glorifying the lord by your life
8: thanks be to god good christian friends rejoice with heart soul and voice oh give heed to what we say jesus christ is born today Oxen, and ass before him bow, and he is in the manger now. Christ is born today. Christ is born today.
6: The prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle
8: Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee, through the intercession and help of the archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions.
6: We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy, we implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death, we implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From
8: every thought of suicide and abortion,
6: we implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord.
8: From every form of sinful sexuality,
6: we implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord.
8: From every division in our
6: family, and every harmful friendship, we implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord.
8: From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult,
6: we implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord.
8: Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary, we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen.